Hello and welcome to another podcast brought to you by Life Community Church, Leamington Spa. Recorded at one of our Sunday morning services, we hope this message inspires, equips and encourages you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. We are just starting a brand new sermon series today and that is A Life Worth Giving. A Life Worth Giving. You see, today's culture is all about what can I get? We are constantly bombarded by the media, by adverts. This brand new phone's come out, I need the new phone. It will change my life. I need, I need, I need, I want, I want, I want. I must have this, I need this, I require this. And that's what the message we get constantly from everywhere around us is saying, not what can you give, but what can you get? What can I get out of everything? How does this serve me? How do I improve because of this? What do I gain from this myself? That's the culture that we live in. And you know what? That's almost everything we have in our life. We're in a really privileged position just by the fact we live in the country that we do. And I don't think some of us realise it. There are some in the room that do. But not all of us realise how privileged we are to be here. We have running water in the tap. We have electricity constantly just sitting there. We have heat from gas and however. We have food whenever we want it. We've got change in our pocket and that puts us in, I think it's the top 5% of the richest people on the planet. Yet our perception is, what can I get? We need to do a little bit of shifting of perspective this morning, yes? Because we've got to start understanding it's not about what you can get, it's about what you can give. A life worth giving. Our series is going to look at what we can give and how we can go against the river. Because everything is forcing us into what can I get, but we need to go the other way into being what can I give. Why? It's pretty simple, really. Jesus said some great words. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I'm sure if my children were to hear those words, they wouldn't agree. (laughs) Because it is always better as a child to receive, isn't it? Yet Jesus is incredible. We looked at the, the Beatitudes just recently, our last series, and we talked about how Jesus is the total counterculture of everything that we think we should be. It's better to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Hmm. Today we're going to be looking at a life worth giving service. Service. Okay. I'm going to tell you a story and... um, This is about one of the current greatest British um, entrepreneurs, inventors that we have, a guy by the name of James Dyson. And he invented the Hoover, the Dyson vacuum cleaner. What makes it unique? Pete, what what makes it unique, the Dyson? The motor, Richard? No bag. The colour, the design, 
the constant innovation, what makes it unique? It's totally different to everything else that was before. And it's British. <laughs> it's British. Hmm. You see, James Dyson had this idea. He had a vacuum cleaner at home and he was using it away and he deliberately bought the, the most expensive one that he could so it was the best it could be. And as he was using it, it began just to push the dirt around the house. It wasn't picking it up anymore. So he'd have to empty the bag and start again. And he went to a sawmill. And when he was in a sawmill, they have something called an extractor and when it extracts the sawdust away, it has a big dome or a cyclone or whatever we want to call it. And what happens is there's something called centrifugal force. See, we're getting complicated this morning. And what happens is all of the dust flies out sideways and all of the air travels up through the middle and comes out clean the other side and everything has been left in the middle and there's no bag. There's nothing to catch it, it just falls down. It's gone, that's it. So that sent something triggering inside James Dyson said, if that can do it, I can make it. So he designed it, he created it and he made it his first ever bagless vacuum cleaner. And he took his design and he went to all of the big retailers and he went to all of the big manufacturers and he said to them, this is what I've designed, this is what I've come up with. What do you think? And they said, there's no bag. And he said, no, that's the point. And they said, do you know how much money we make from vacuum bags? They wouldn't even entertain the idea because it meant getting rid of the vacuum bag and the vacuum bag made them so much money wow you see the culture was telling him don't try and change it because it does something for us that's so good don't try and improve it because we make a lot of money from it that's what our culture is like isn't it if you can make a fortune from something and people don't really need it then we'll, we'll just keep doing it Vacuum bags, case in point. No one would touch it in this country, so he took it to Japan. And they sold the unit in Japan, and Pete became an iconic symbol for the rich and famous that they had these bagless vacuum cleaners. And they started to sell, and they started to sell for $2,000 each. And the company that was selling them kept virtually all of the profit. <laughs> That was part of the deal. We sell it and you'll get a little bit. It was just enough for them to keep production going and keep working. And he decided he wanted to hit America and he couldn't hit America because America said the same thing as what we'd said in, in Britain. There's no bags, it's not gonna work, this is ridiculous. So he defied every single one of them and made his own factory here in the UK and started to make Dyson vacuum cleaners. Who remembers the DC-01? But you can even remember what colour it was. Grey and bright yellow. See, it's flooding back to you all now. You see, Dyson went against the grain of what people were telling him to do. He saw something and he wanted to change what was happening to make it better. Our culture drags us along and tells us we shouldn't do this and we shouldn't do that. We have to behave in this way. Yet we know 
we don't want to behave like that, we don't want to act like that, and we don't want to behave the way that you're telling us to because we know it's wrong. We want to be different because we want to live the way Jesus tells us to. We're a bit like James Dyson. We can see that we can innovate beyond ourselves because when God breaks in, we can do amazing and incredible things. You can do amazing and incredible things when God breaks in. You can. You can. Uh, There was a story um, of a man, and he sat down with a friend of his, and um, he said to his friend, you know, I just don't know what it is that I want to do. And he said, if you could do anything and not fail, what would you do? He said, I'd start a church. And he said, then what are you being a coward for? Start a church. The guy's name was Rick Warren. Saddleback Church. Purpose-driven life, all that sort of stuff, all the great stuff that comes out of that church. All started with a conversation where someone said, stop being a coward. And then he went against the grain. Did what it was people told him was impossible. I told you we'd go off, didn't I, today? Okay. So... This thing works. (laughs) It's back. Right, okay. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20 says this. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life... Or death. Whether by life or death. So what is it that the Apostle Paul's telling the church in Philippi here? What is it he's trying to get at? Well, we need to start thinking a little bit differently to how that reads. Because one thing he isn't saying is, and as we look at it, is that I will get by and whether I live or die, I'll be all right. Because sure, that's how we live, isn't it? We'll be okay. And then at the end, we'll go, hi, Jesus. For those of us that are Christians, it will be, hi, Jesus, you're all right. Yeah, it's great. Thank you. Lovely life. Nice one. Heaven. That's not what Paul's getting at. That isn't what he's getting at. He said that he's saying, whether in life or death, I am going to honor Jesus with my actions and with my life. He, that's Jesus, will be exalted through me. That's what it is that he's saying. I'm going to have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my life. Do you know he's writing this from prison? He's writing this from a position of being banged up for saying what he believes. Yet he says those words. I will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted. Whether I live or die, Christ will be exalted. Wow. That's challenging. That means that this can't be about Paul. This can't be about what Paul thinks. You see, this has got to be about what God thinks about him. This has to be about what God has asked Paul to do in service. Now, I'm going to ask you to read this yourselves. 
just nice and quietly, quickly, read it again. And as you're reading it, I want you to understand something. You are Paul. Whether you believe it or know it or not, this culture that we're sitting in has got us in a prison. And we need to start to stand up against it. But we have sufficient courage. Now as always, Christ will be exalted in our lives. Whether by life or by death. Does it take on a new meaning? This is service. This is service. Romans 12, verse 2. This is one of my all-time favorite passages of Scripture. I love it. It's fantastic. And unfortunately, Chris, we're going to read quite a lot of Romans 12 today. Chris is not a big fan of it because he's all teachery. I'm a little bit more prophetic. I love Romans 12. Chris likes Philippians. So here we go. Romans 12.2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the removing. No. The renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. He's good pleasing and perfect will. Don't conform to what this world says. Do not fall in line with what it tells you you should be doing. Don't do it. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? You don't. He does. The more time we spend with Jesus, that intimate, close time together, your mind will shift and it will change because you'll begin to think more and more like him. I've got certain friends and um, when I've been around those friends, I do not need to tell my wife that I have been with those friends because she knows by my actions. I know when my wife has been with her sister. Because her actions begin to mirror a little bit, only a little bit, of her sister. And we sometimes have to have a conversation about how she is not her sister. <laughs> but, you know, it's okay. It's family. Oh, it's fine. But don't be transformed into the world. Don't allow the world to drag you along into what it thinks you should be. No, no, no. Let's go against the tide and against the current and allow God to renew our minds. He's renewing it. He's not removing it. He's giving you new thought patterns, new processes, new ways of behavior because when you're intimate and spend time with him, he has an impact on you. There's a, a guy in America, and uh, he says that if he doesn't spend time with God for the day, he knows about it. If he spends two days without God, his wife knows about it. If he spends five days without God, then his children know about it. And if he were to go a month without God, his congregation would know about it. God impacts us and changes us. 
You are not here to be an island. You are here because God wants unity in a group of people. That's why we're in church together this morning, because you are not alone. You are not alone. And God wants to empower us as a group together to achieve something, not an individual. Yes, he will bless you as an individual. Yes, he loves you as an individual. But he incorporates you into his wider body. You see, the culture today teaches us that we are our own. That we aren't owned. That whatever we choose to do is our decision and no one can stop us. We're, in inverted commas, free. Are you? Are you free? Are you free to do whatever it is that you think Jesus is telling you to do? I'd say for most of us, the answer is no. Fear kicks in. The cultural standing comes along and it says, oh, you can't do that. You can't behave like that. For me, as I I became more passionate about serving, I began to get a knockback from the job that I was in, the work I was in. And people would often say, well, what are you going to church for? Well, because that's what I do. I'm a Christian, I believe, and we gather together. Oh, yeah, it'll be fine. Don't go. What do you mean you're serving in church? What do you do? Don't What a load of rubbish. Come to the pub. And that began to affect me. Not that I didn't come to church. Not that... I wasn't here, but if we're not careful, we can begin to resent church. I could be playing football this afternoon, but I can't because I've got to come to church. I, I could be uh, down the pub with my mates, ready, waiting for the, the game to start and having a few drinks, but I'm not because I'm, I'm at church. I, I could, you know, I could be out there now on this beautiful day. I could be there sunning it up down the park, having a picnic with the family. What am I doing in church? I'm honouring God. I'm honouring him. So I don't need to go down the pub. I don't need to go to that football match. As a family, we are here together honouring God. So we don't need to get ourselves down the park. We might this afternoon. Don't quote me on that, Josh. But it's about honouring him. And it's that intimate relationship that allows this to happen. We choose him and he empowers us. Do not resent coming to church. When you come to church, you will realize something. If you allow God to, he will change everything. He will change everything. My life has never been the same. The day I decided I didn't need football and I needed Jesus, everything changed. Yes, there are times I've resented it, but I've quickly washed it off and decided I need more of Jesus. Okay. We're going to carry on reading some more of Romans. Okay. That's gone backwards. Okay, 
For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Hmm. Each member belongs to all the others. Jesus said some really incredible words. And when he said these words, it didn't always ring well with everybody. But this is what it is that Jesus said, My friends do as I command them. My friends... Do as I command them. That word command is a, a Greek word, despartes. It's where we get our word despot from. It's a really strong word. It's, it's not a gentle, you do as I command. It's a strong, you will do as I command. If you say that I'm your friend, you will do what I'm telling you to do. Despartes. And Paul is saying to us here that we're many people, but we are one body. Jesus has said to us, it's better to give than to receive. And when we put all of that together, what's the commandment of God for us? To love your neighbor as yourself. So therefore, we are not our own. We are purchased at a price, and therefore, because of that, we belong to this wider body. When we put all of that together in a neat little package, we realize something. Freedom is choosing what God wants us to do, and it's not to be alone. It's not to be alone. We belong to each other. I've got a gift that stands out a little bit because I'm here at the front. So it's easy for you to see it. But if I wasn't, what would happen? If I wasn't here this morning sharing what it is that God's put on my heart for us as a church, what would happen? Would you hear it? Probably not. Not in the same way, because God uses what he's put inside of me to give it out to you. I've had to recognize that and do something about it. And it's all for God's glory. You know, I don't do this because I like standing at the front. I love to serve. I love to serve people. I love to give myself because he gave everything for me. Do I not owe him everything? Do you, Christian today, not owe him everything? 
So this is my first point. Commit to serving. Commit to serving. That's everything I've just been talking about. You are not your own. Commit yourself to the church. Commit yourself to his service. Commit yourself to whatever it is that God is asking you to do. See, one, one of the things many people don't know about James Dyson, he didn't start off as an engineer. He was an artist. He went to art college. And it was while he was there, he changed into something else, being an engineer. What are you today? What do you think you are? You see, James Dyson wanted to start try and put right what he saw was wrong. Do you think that when the first idea came to him of a, va- a, ba- a bagless vacuum cleaner, that he thought he'd end up with a company that last year turned over more than $1 billion? Probably not. sitting in this room today are people that have the seed of potential to be whatever it is that God's asking them to be. But guess what? Stop looking at yourself through your perspective. Use God's. Commit yourself to service. Commit yourself to whatever it is that God is asking you to do. Maybe you're a cleaner. Maybe you're a financial bod. Maybe you're a driver. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're a laborer or an office person. But who's God telling you you are? We have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. Do you know what that means? We're not the same. We're not expected to be the same. In this crazy world we live in, we're told there are levels of importance. God's world doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Jesus said, I came to serve, not be served. What is it that you think about yourself right now? I'm only a cleaner. I'm only a driver. I'm a technical person. I don't do speaking. I don't, I'm not good with people. Who says you're not good with people? Give it a go. See, we need to begin to release something inside of us. We can't hold on to what it is that God's put in us anymore. We almost need to put ourselves inside that bagless vacuum cleaner and allow it just to remove all of the nonsense. So when we come out the other side, all we're left with is a renewed mind that doesn't conform to the pattern that the world dictates it should, but rather goes after everything that God has. That's what we need to do.
whatever it is that you think you may be, today, know this. If you're a Christian in this room, then you are firstly God's child. You are God's child. You are an heir, a co-heir with Jesus of everything that God has. You are, regardless of whether you believe it or not, significant. Massively significant. The day that you chose to accept Jesus into your heart and admit that you'd got stuff wrong and you needed him, there was a party in heaven for you. The Bible tells us there was a party in heaven for you. Wow. God is on our side here, church. He's not against us. Why is it we think in life that, oh, it's so difficult, it's so hard to do this? Actually, you've already won. You've got the eternity. You've got Jesus at your side. Yes, things may be difficult. Yes, trials may come. But as we read earlier from Paul, he said those incredible words, whether by life or death, I'm going to exalt Christ. That's all we've got to do. Do what it is he's asking us to. Secondly, you are whatever it is that God is asking you to be. Not what you think you are. Our perspective will inhibit our ability to see the person that God is asking you to be. So, If, in all of that, you need to reevaluate, take God's perspective of who you are. Get the Bible underneath your arm, get somewhere quiet, and read what it says about you. It tells you you're a champion. It tells you are victorious. It tells you are capable of incredible and mighty things. Jesus said, you will go on to do even greater miracles than what I've done. What are we doing as a church? And I don't just mean here at LCC. I mean as a church, globally, what are we doing? You see, the gifts that you've got will look different. On, on all of us, they'll look different. Change that over, thank you. But we need to serve with our gift. Commit to serving and then serve with your gift. Whatever it is that God's asking you to do. As you go on to read Romans, I encourage you to do it when you get home. Read Romans 12 all the way through and you'll see there's a section in there where it starts talking about those that prophesy, prophesy, those that teach, teach, those that lead, do it diligently, etc., etc. It's basically saying, if you've been asked by God to do something, do it. It's really not rocket science, but we make everything complicated, don't we? Is God asking you to serve him? Categorically, the answer is yes. Do we all believe that? No. Does that mean it's still not true? No. God is asking you to serve. (laughs) It's dead simple. Let's not make it complicated or difficult. Just start doing it. And when people start saying, what are you doing that for? You know what to do. Keep swimming. Swim against the tide. Go against the current. 
Get yourself away from what it is they think and wait for the blessings of God to pour out because we're serving him the way he wants. From that place of intimacy where our, our minds have been renewed. God gives us different gifts so that we work together. Together. That's why you need to serve with your gift. I do not have your gift. You do not have my gift. So without us working in partnership, are we going to achieve everything that God's calling the church to? Probably not. You are significant. You are significant. Whether it's saying welcome on the way in when people arrive, you are significant. Whether it's the cleaner that comes in when no one else is around and helps the building look clean and tidy. Because when new people come in, don't we want them to know that we love and care for the building? Because that shows we love and care then for each other. And therefore, we would love and care for them. It's simple. Yet, it's required. So without that, would we be able to do it? I know this is challenging. I can tell by the look on all of your faces, please stop. <laughs> but guess what? We're nearly at an end. We're coming to land. But your gift is to benefit others. It's not what you can get out of it. It's about what you can give to other people. You know, it's, it was great to see Laura up here this morning giving notices. And I, to you lot, that doesn't seem like a big thing. But that's a massive deal for Laura. You know, when just before we had Josh and we were in our previous church, she was out of the service as it was ending. She didn't even want to talk to people because she's any idea of bringing Laura to the front. And no, she didn't want to know. Yeah, here she was this morning sharing the notices. And she did a communion talk a few weeks before. I'm not saying this to belittle her, but if she can do it, you can do it. You can do it. Because I know how hard it was. I know how difficult it was for her. I know the position that she was in before and where she is now. A transformation. Why? She got intimate with God and God told her she was better than she thought she was. No matter how much her loving husband, me, tells her how brilliant she is, when it comes from him, it means everything. Get intimate with God and allow him to change you. I'm not saying you need to stand at the front. What I am saying is whatever it is that's holding you back, let it go. Let go and let God We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Yes, you do. Yes, 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 you do. And I need your gift. Merv needs your gifts. Bill needs your gifts. As a church at the moment, we need a volunteer to come and help us with administration. 
because we're in a position where we need help. And we have now, this is now week three of a saying, we need help. Who's going to help? Isaiah is a prophet from the Old Testament, and he isn't called at the beginning of his book. It's not until about chapter six that something changes and he sees a vision. For the first five chapters, it's pure frustration. It mirrors exactly us, doesn't it? Yet, he stands before God and God says, Who shall I send? Isaiah puts his hand up. Send me. I'll go. And we're standing here as a church saying, we need some help. Who will help us? We need help. If you've got some time, come and serve. Come and serve. The benefit will be huge, not only to you, but to the church. A little bit of time, and all of a sudden, everything becomes very, very different. Serve others. The context of this scripture is that James and John, two of the disciples, have gone to Jesus and said, will you do anything we ask of you? He said, well, what is it that you want? They said, we want to sit at your right hand and your left hand when your glory comes. Jesus says, you do not even know what it is you're asking. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's definitely more than good enough for me. If he came to serve, and he's the example I'm following, I've got to serve. Yes? Let's not lose this, church. Jesus came to serve. Serve others. We're going to bring this to a close. We hope that you enjoyed this message. For many more resources and for more information, visit our website at www.life-cc.org.